So I've, being in Southern California, being in Utah, I've, I've had friends who don't believe in Jesus, are not a follower of Christ. And what they usually say to me as to why they are not a Christian, it goes, this is very common, it goes something like this. Well, Nate, I, even though you give me this evidence and reasons to believe in Christianity, I don't want to have to listen and follow some God. I don't want to be shackled, confined by religion, even though it's knowing Jesus in a relationship. I, don't, I want to be free to do whatever I like. I want to be free to do you know, whatever I feel like, whatever makes me happy. I'm sure you guys have heard people say things Something like that. And, you know, people don't want to make Jesus Lord of their life. They don't want to have to serve anything. They, want to, they don't want to have to be subject to anything. But what, when a person says that, what, they, what they're not realizing, what they're not uh, fully understanding, is that everybody serves something. Everyone is a servant to a certain ideal, maybe a cause, maybe to certain relationships. And so nobody is really free in that sense that they're talking about, just, you know, do whatever, because everybody chooses something in life. They pick something out that they're going to serve ultimately. For some people, they dedicate their lives to working or money. For some, it's family. Many young people just find it just immediate, raw, sensual pleasure, whatever that is. People can be very hedonistic. And so people just, you know, they, and they serve that, that thing, that, that ideal that they pick out. So everybody makes, we got to be clear about this, everybody makes something the Lord of their life. And I love the way that Bob Dylan put it. And a song, I don't, not a lot of people know the song, but it's a great song. It's so well written. He says, you may be a preacher with spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be someone's mistress. Maybe someone's heir. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So everyone serves something. Everybody has a reason as to why they're living. I can prove it. What's that one thing? Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's someone you know. What's that one thing? Maybe it's a job, a thing, a relationship, an accomplishment. What's that one thing that if that were taking, taken away from you, life would no longer seem worth living anymore. It's like if that one thing were taken away, there'd just be no purpose to your life. Life would be pointless. Well, whatever that one thing is, that's what someone's really serving in their life. And you see, that is really, that's what you've made Lord of your life. It's the one thing you're really serving. I love the way that Christian author Rebecca Mainly Pipperet puts it. She says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. So no one is free. We're all slaves to something. We're all serving something. And, I, you know, that's not irrelevant, by the way, the thing you serve. Some of you, well, I guess we're all serving something, so it's kind of like the great level. We're all level on the same level. Well, actually, no, because there are some things which you serve, and we know this intuitively. There's some things that you serve that can be absolutely harmful to your soul and destructive. But Paul's point here in Romans is that if you serve Christ, if you serve the living God, 
that's, that's something that doesn't damage your soul. It heals your soul. It's something that brings deeper fulfillment and flourishing and well-being to your life. And so if you serve anything else besides Christ, besides God, it will lead in time. Maybe not be immediate, but in time, sometimes it can be immediate. Like if someone does like cocaine or drugs and that, you know, pretty immediate effects right there, I guess, say, right? But there are some things that, you know, it can take time for things to deteriorate, but it will eventually lead to shame, misery, and death. And so we're going to see this as we look through Romans 6.15, that it matters who we serve. Verse 15, we're going to... You're going to recognize this is something Paul's already said, but he says in verse 15, what then are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace by no means. So this is a third time in the book of Romans that Paul's going to answer these kind of hypothetical objections. Okay. If you're really saved by grace alone, the sheer grace and mercy in God alone, then, then he's like some, you know, this person here that he's trying to hypothetically answer this objection well it's if you're saved by grace alone and faithful means you can send all you want all you want in your life there's no constraint you just live it up you know go to vegas whatever it is and so this is so common because paul's repeated this kind of same pattern three times in the book of romans this is he's saying hey yeah if you preach the gospel of grace people may walk away with the mistaken it's mistaken it's not true mistaken assumption that you can sin all you want because it's all grace all your sins are forgiven. So just keep on sinning. Keep on sinning. And so uh, he's done this. This is why we do Bible preaching, verse by verse preaching, because Paul has repeated this three times. And we're, we're going to look at the, the other times he's mentioned it. You may remember this. But in Romans 3.30, he says something similar. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we overthrow the law by this faith? Do we just get to do whatever we want because we're saved by faith alone? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So grace makes us good is what he's saying here. And then just two sermons ago, we went over this Romans 6.1. He says the same thing. What then, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How could we who died to sin still live in it it's amazing so he's saying yeah you know he has to answer this objection yes it's all grace all your sins are forgiven and that doesn't mean you can use it for a license for sin but people draw that conclusion when you tell people they're saved by faith alone and grace alone they think oh well i guess i can sin all i want and so paul does this three other times and you're like nate you've talked about this over and over again don't get mad at me Get mad at Paul. He's the one doing it. And so it's important to see this. You might, you go verse by verse, you might think this is really repetitive, but it shows something because it shows what scripture, what God thinks in his word is important for us to learn. And in first century Judaism, you know, when Paul was, Paul was a first century Jew, if, if you wanted to tell somebody something was really, really important, you would repeat it over and over and over again. So he wants us to get how radical God's grace is and how it is so radical, so amazing that all our sins are forgiven. His grace is so unending that people will walk away with a misunderstanding, a wrong idea that you can sin all you want. But he says, that's, no, that's a misunderstanding from the gospel, but that is a common misunderstanding. And so he says here, something a little different. It's the same model, but it's slightly different. He says, are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? This third one is, is a little bit different because he makes it, expands it out to say, if you're not under, uh, under law and you're under grace, being under law is 
striving, earning, working to get acceptance and salvation from God. That's what it means to be under law, okay? He says, if you're under grace now, where that's already done, it's already been finished, you don't have to work for your salvation. It's already been earned by Jesus. He says, if you go from under law from into grace, you're going to sin all you want. So that means he assumes that if you're under law, he, the person, the hypothetical person he's answering here, the misunderstanding that's, that's had here by, by this, this citation, Paul probably, when he preached the gospel, got many times, when you're preaching this grace thing, well, that means you can sin all you want. So this is something he got over and over again in his ministry. But, but yeah, so he's, he's saying here, yeah, that, that, that the misunderstanding is that law makes people good. Being under law makes people good. Being under grace makes people bad. And there are other religions that teach that, hey, in order to be saved, you got to obey the law. But the thing is, in Paul's mind, and uh, in, in all these things, you look at it, his, his idea of the law is that you have to obey it with exhaustive, conscientious obedience. You do everything in the law, says, even in your heart. And no one can actually keep the law. So people use the law then. The law will make people bad because no one can do it. They have despair. They get sad. But people then will use the law if they're under law. They will use the law to serve themselves. So the law becomes an instrument of pride and self-righteousness. And I have to say, people use God and religion and all of these things to serve their own purposes. That doesn't mean they're serving God. They're serving something else. They're making something else, Lord, by, by all, the, all the while with a pious smile saying, oh, I know I'm really serving God, but they're serving something else and they're using religion. One of the things that's common, um, pastors deal with this, but um, nobody here does. But, but, but this is a common trope that comes up in pastoral ministry is a dude wants to leave his, his, his wife and he'll use God and religion as a tool to make himself seem pious. He's like, well, you know, I, I just, I'm going to leave my wife you know, because, um, you know, God, God wants me to be happy. So they're using religion to do, to serve sensual pleasure, to serve lust, to whatever the guy wants to do. Something that we, that I've, um, uh, I've, I've seen is in, in churches, um, is people will often do this, in, in younger people, you know, however you define that, teenager, 20, whatever. But people, they'll, they'll be dating in a church and they'll say, well, you know, instead of saying, instead of being honest, and saying, look, you're not very good looking and you don't have enough money. I'm going to move on to something else, you know. Instead of, instead of saying that, say, you know, God spoke to me last night. He said we shouldn't be together anymore. Conveniently, right? And the next day they're dating somebody else. You're like, I see what's going on here, right? So they're using religion as a mask of trying to appear pious and self-serving, serving their own desires. And so, yeah, the law here, being under law, does not make somebody good. It rots out the heart. It makes somebody bad because they're not really glorifying God. When they're under law, they're serving self. They're serving pride and uh, spiritual piety in their own in their own own minds and everything and they're also trying to obey and make themselves feel good about being a good person so they think oh can I be a good person so that means uh being good is kind of like fire insurance i get to avoid hell and i get to go to heaven if i if i'm good if i'm really good and i try hard then then uh, then that'll get me to avoiding the bad place hell and going to a good place and so what, what that is, is that's not like doing it out of love and, at, you know, care for God. You're, you're doing it to save your own hide. You're doing it to, you know, as a insurance uh, thing that you're serving for, for, your, for your future safety. It's not about loving God, really. And so when, when people 
are under law, law does not make people good because you have to remember the law says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what happens when people are under law, they, are, they may appear cosmetically to be righteous, but inside they're a rotting tomb like the Pharisees because they're keeping the law, they're using religion in a way to justify their own pride and their own self-image of being good and holy and wonderful when in fact there's nothing there. So it ends up being not lordship to Christ, but lordship to self, pride, and self-image. So no, being under law doesn't make people good. They may appear good. It actually rots the heart at the core. And so they're not making Jesus Lord. They're making something else Lord. Their pride Lord. Their spiritual self-righteousness. And here what Paul's point is in the next two verses is that the way to, the way to get out of this uh, is, is to look back to what Jesus did by releasing us from sin. And that means we serve righteousness. We are servants of Christ and his righteousness. Romans 6, 16 through 18. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death. Look at that more, how that affects that. Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once, uh, once slaves of sin, having become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching you were committed, and having been set free from sin having become slaves of righteousness. So Paul says, yeah, that, that you are set free, and that's, that's why we, we serve Jesus, why we serve righteousness. We are set free from sin, from the bondage of sin. And so he says you would do that by accepting the standard of teaching. Notice that he's a standard of teaching. What that refers to is the gospel and our response to the gospel, that all our sins are forgiven. That's the gospel by, by faith in Christ. And guess what? If you are truly forgiven, forgiven people forgive. So there's the gospel and the response to the gospel. That's a standard of teaching. People who have received God's kindness and mercy and eternal life just by believing in Jesus. People who receive God's kindness are kind to other people. So it's the standard of teaching. It's the gospel and the response to it. And so we are set free and we, we follow that, that course that he, he outlines here. And he says servants of Christ and uh, servants of righteousness that's used. It's a Greek word doulos. And that means it can mean you can translate it in Greek. The original New Testament was written in Greek. Doulos as slave or servant. We like servant because, you know, slave just sounds so, it doesn't go over very well, right? In the first century, it's a little bit easier, that, that concept. But, you know, with the, the past of America, people have trouble with, with the idea of slavery. But it just means you're serving something, ultimately. And we're servants of Christ, which can be translated as servants or slaves of Christ. And we want to serve Christ, not because we are trying to get saved, but because Jesus, out of already saving us, we have thankfulness to him. We are, we are it's weird to say, doesn't roll off the tongue exactly, but we're joyful slaves as Christians. We are slaves of Christ, and we're, we're actually happy about it. You know, oh, wow, that doesn't sound... Uh, you haven't won me over, Nate. That doesn't sound too attractive right there. Nothing, nothing so good. Why in the world would I want to be a slave of Jesus? Why not be slave at all? Why not even be a slave just, just to forget the whole thing? And as I said, everybody's a slave to something. Everybody serves something. Then the question becomes, well, then why serve Jesus over, say, money, over, say, success, over, say, you know, immediate happiness or relationships? In other words, what's, why, what's the benefits here, right? I mean, I, people say, I'd rather follow this than, than, than Jesus. I don't want to follow Jesus. And the reason why serving Christ is the best 
the reason why it, it, it helps and heals your soul, it's good for, for you in terms of us growing and everything, is that when you are serving Christ, you are serving God. Is there anything greater than God? God's the greatest good, isn't he? God's the greatest being, the greatest good. And so when you're serving something that's infinitely good and wonderful and beautiful, you flourish from that. If, if, if what you are serving is something infinitely greater than yourself, the greatest good, then, then that's, that's not going to have a negative impact on your life. But if you serve something less than the greatest good, when you could be serving the greatest good, which is God, you better believe that's going to have harmful consequences when you're serving something that's not as great as God. You're giving your life to something that, that is infinitely less great than God. Anything you pick out that you serve is infinitely less great than God. And that, that has consequence on your soul, on your life, your day-to-day -day living, your experiences, everything. This is what Paul says in Romans 6, 19 through 22. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's, using, he's saying, I'm using the slave illustration, um, this slave lordship illustration, because you guys, you guys don't understand very much. Just, I'm going to try to make it, I'm going to try to break it down for you guys, right? That's what he's saying here. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and a lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So they're serving something, but it's lawlessness, it's rebellion. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification, leading to greater and greater holiness. That's what he's talking, you know, cleansing of the soul. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. But what fruit you were you getting from the time, from the things of which you are now ashamed? See, the, the fruit of that was shame, being ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Well, that doesn't help either, They're right there. Death and shame is what it brings. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, servants of God, if you have trouble with that word, it can be translated, the fruit you uh, get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul is saying, hey, if you want to avoid shame, which produces sadness, which produces guilt and misery, best be following Jesus. He's the greatest good rather than something lesser than him. And so this is, this is hard for us, right? People in our, in our culture of mandatory happiness, of immediate happiness, kind of hedonistic happiness, that's, that's a lot of people's God in our society, is that... This idea of whatever they perceive as happiness is an end, it's an ultimate end in and of itself. And this plays out where people just kind of, they seek and they follow any desire that they have. Any desire they have come up the pike, they just give into that. Whatever they, whatever they perceive and view as making themselves happy, they go for. The problem with this is that it's not turning out so well. Because in our culture today, many people are very hedonistic and... There is so much anxiety and depression in our culture. Uh, I mean, for a culture that's so fixed on acceptance and happiness, immediate happiness, there is actually so much unhappiness. It's ironic. And experts have observed that a, uh, a patient in a mental hospital in the 1960s has the same level of anxiety as a student who's currently in high school. It's not going so well, is it? Not much happiness out there. And that's the reason why people are not happy is because, this is going to sound weird, the reason why people are not happy is because they're aiming at hedonistic pleasure and happiness. 
It's like, that's weird. Like, it seems like if you aim at something, you should, like, it should, it should, you know, play into that effect, not have the opposite effect on it. But this has been well known for 2,000 years. It's called the hedonistic paradox. Hedonism is a view that we should do what makes us most happy, what brings a sensual desire. And it's called a paradox because when you aim for happiness, what people have observed over the centuries is if you aim for happiness as the ultimate purpose and goal of your life, you don't get it. You're not happy. And so the solution to this paradox is in order to be happy, you don't aim for happiness. You aim for something else. And Jesus Christ actually solves this, uh, this paradox. He says, uh, you know, aim at him, the greatest good, the, the God of the universe, Jesus Christ. That's what brings true, deep joy and satisfaction and contentment in a person's life. Even when they're going through the hardest of times, Jesus outlines a solution to this paradox of hedonism better than anybody else in human history. He says in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I hate to put it to you. We think of like, you know, crosses, you know, we see them, but crosses are not fun to take up. Anybody who's seen the passion of the Christ knows that. For whoever would save his life will lose it. So if you try to save your life, it's all about you, you lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a paradox to that. You, you aim at Jesus and you find true life and true contentment. He goes on to say, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So you find, you know, you find out, yeah, yeah, if you give and lay down your life for Jesus, you find greater life. It's so weird how it is. We would think the opposite is the case. Okay, I'm going to be happy, aiming happiness. No, that's not how it's worked. People have known that for thousands of years. Now, what some people do that are clever, and I would say a lot of Americans do this, especially if you're past 30 and you realize, yeah, those years in the 20s, that was kind of a hot mess. That was not so fun. Let's get away from that. Yeah, no more. What people do is they, they have a, a, a better way Way of going about this towards happiness, and I call it the wholesome American solution to, to the hedonist paradox. They try to, it's very wholesome, sweet, you know, kind of leave it to beaver, sweet, tender mercies kind of thing, you know. It's, uh, you know, I, I aim towards my family. I, 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 I am basically a servant to my family, and people who think this way say, okay, I wake up every morning for work because I'm trying to take care of my wife and my kids. They give me purpose, and when I serve them as ultimate, that's what makes me happy. A lot of people go for this in our culture. You know, you know fam, family is, is the main thing. That's the purpose of your life. That's the greatest good rather than Jesus. But anything less than Jesus is infinitely less than Jesus because Jesus is an infinite divine being. He is God. And so if you serve anything else other than Jesus Christ, you will hurt and lose your soul. It will, it will rot your soul from the inside out with, with time. It's something you cannot avoid. So let me give you just two reasons briefly why this you know, sweet, tender mercies, wholesome family, American family kind of solution doesn't really pan out. It fails. So... And these are just two. I can come up with more, but you know, we all want to eat lunch and do stuff, right? So, just just one. So yeah, you're you're working a job, okay, and you're supporting your family. You know, it's all going great, and then your boss asks you to do something unethical, sinful, bad. You know, it is. We all know what's wrong or right. You know, and he asks you, but you know, like maybe it's ripping off people, maybe it's being dishonest, 
And you know that if you go along, you'll probably get a raise for this, this thing, right? Pretty good money in it, you know, help your family more. And you'll be in a good spot politically. However, if you don't go along with it and snitch on your boss or whatever it is, it, you could, you'll lose your job uh, and you won't be able to provide for your family. If family is your God, if that is your Lord of your life, your family, then you're going to go along with the unethical thing because it's all about the family. So you compromise and you lose your soul in the process by just selling yourself out, kind of like Breaking Bad, although he never was in it for the, for the drugs and the money. I mean, he's never in it for his family. He's in it for the drugs and the money, we find out at the end of Breaking Bad. Oh, I'm sorry if I ruined it for you. Um, it's been out for a long time, longer than, the, well, yeah. So, yeah, and here's another thing, and this is really obvious, especially if you've got teenagers. Uh, a very obvious thing is if your family, if the whole point of your existence, the purpose and meaning of your life is your, is your family, your fam bam, right? That's, it's all about the fam, right? And that's the purpose and ultimate thing of your life. And, you know, it's a tough time with one of your teenage kids. This is very tough. And they completely fall apart. And it's a train wreck. And your family, you know, your wife's falling apart. You, everything's falling apart in your life. You've lost the point of your whole existence. It's just you've served this idol and it's fallen apart. You're going to fall apart. You have no point to live. And so, yeah, serving anything less than Jesus Christ is going to have disastrous results, even though it seems so sweet, tender, mercies, and wholesome. Because when it falls apart, you have no point to live, and you have no point to live. You're not exactly the most reasonable person on earth. I hate to break it to you. You're not doing too good, right? But if you put it in Jesus Christ as Lord and God, He is what you're serving. It's something infinitely bigger than yourself, greater than yourself. That is the purpose of your life. When things go to, well, I won't say it that way. When things really go bad, all right, just say that, bad. When things really go downhill, and the circumstances around you, they're kind of falling apart, they're rough. You don't derive and serve your circumstances. You serve something infinitely greater than your circumstances, the Lord and God of the universe, so you can rely upon Him when things are crumbling and crashing down around you. This is why Paul can say in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, that like, this dude's in prison. I've never even been to prison, right? And he's like, he, he's here and he's like, I'm so content. It's like... Wow, that's amazing. Well, I'm going to read it here. But this is, he finds it by, by putting it, his ultimate purpose and point of his life in God in Christ. Philippians 4, 10 through 13, written from prison. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned whatever situation I am in to be content, I know how to be brought down low, I know how to abound, in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthened me. Can someone get, I lost my bottle of water, someone could be so kind to, oh thank you, yeah. It's like looking around for it. I always like look down for it and I'm like, oh, where's that? Thought I brought it up. So yeah, he can find, you know, if we and I were in prison, we would be really angry. 
this guy is like, I'm, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not just about like, you know, a just, you know, do it Nike kind of commercial here. People interpret it that way, you know. No, it's like, yeah, you're in prison and lastly, you're just falling apart and you're still deriving your strength from God. You know, he serves something greater than a circumstances, greater than financial security, greater than approval and acceptance of other people. He served Jesus Christ. And if you serve anything else, it'll deform your soul and it'll keep you from the way that God intends you to be. And the best example I can think of of this in a movie is Lord of the Rings. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Who's seen Lord of the Rings? Right, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien uh, writes that, and many people don't know this, but some do. He was a Christian. And so the Lord of the Rings has a ton of Christian themes which points to Christ's sin and redemption. But one of the greatest illustrations of sin and its effects on people and serving something other than a greatest cause is the example of Schmeagel or Gollum. Remember Gollum, right? They're precious. You know that kind of thing? You know? That's all you're going to get. <laughs> Any more is going too far. Let's just be honest, okay? You already creeped out anyways. I can't believe it. Pastor just did a weird impression on stage. I'm never going back to this church again. So, you know, he finds this ring, you know, and, you know, and it's that one, you know, golden ring, the, the one to rule them all, and uh, the ring of all rings here. So he, Schmeagel finds it. He's a hobbit, as Tolkien would put it. He's a hobbit at the time. And then he just kind of like, it's like, you look at this little precious ring, you know, and everything, and he's, he, he becomes a slave to that ring. He does whatever he can to preserve his little precious ring there, you know, and everything. And so, you know, you see his body. It's like what sin does to our soul. It deforms him. He's like, his hair's all falling out, you know, and everything. And he's like, he's like angry, wide-eyed, like he's been doing math or something. You know, <sighs> crazy, you know, sharp teeth. He's deformed from, his, from who he originally intended to be, which was a hobbit. And so it's like how sin deforms our soul with sin and misery. He can't keep a friendship with Frodo. Anybody who's seen the movie knows that he tries to murder Frodo because of his precious, right? He wants to, he wants to keep on to this ring, right? And so over time, he, he, his life ends up ruined. He has no friends. He dies in shame over this little ring that has ruined and corrupted his life. And that's what happens when we serve anything else other than Jesus Christ. We get deformed in our souls like the golem. He becomes Schmeagel the golem kind of thing. If it's food, if it's money, success, pleasure, it deforms us like it deforms golem. It messes us up. And, you know, when someone's sins over time and there's never any turning to Christ, it deforms them even more and makes them even more uh, difficult on themselves. They become a hell to be around in terms of what we'll see here. It, it becomes hell uh, here in terms of the consequences. I wasn't cussing there if you were confused. <laughs> uh, but no, it becomes, it turns into hell because it impacts someone's eternal destination. And, and as they become more deformed as people, people that are that are more and more sinful and more and more giving in device not the happiest people they're not happy themselves and this is how c.s lewis puts it in mere christianity about how one's bad choices over time brings greater and greater sadness and and just despair to one's soul this is what he says christianity asserts that every individual human being is going to live forever and this must be either true or false and there's great evidence that it's true. Now, there are many things which would not be worth bothering about if I were going to live only 70 years, but which I had better bother about very seriously if I'm going to live forever and ever. 
perhaps my bad temper or my jealousy are gradually getting worse, so gradually that the increase in the 70 years will not be very noticeable, but it might be an absolute hell in a million years. In fact, if Christianity is true, hell is precisely the correct technical term for that, what that would be. So it's sin deforms, it brings torment to our souls. And so serving sin, it may like promise joy and life and peace, but it never actually, it, it's kind of, sin's deceptive. The Bible calls it that. It calls it bondage and it calls it deceptive because you think, okay, if I do this, you know, I'm going to feel good. And you, you don't, you know, if you serve success, it's like, then you realize I'm never doing enough. Like the movie, The Greatest Showman, it never is enough. You guys seen that movie? Greatest musical ever. I was just telling Johnny about it. He's got to see it. It's a great musical. Um, but, you know, it's never enough. It's never enough anything. You're always worry, exhausted, and stressed if you serve success. You're striving but never arriving, achieving but never receiving. And so burnout and despair results from all of this. And I just love the way that, that Tim Keller puts it. He says, if you are enslaved to approval, you will constantly experience self-pity, envy, hurt feelings, inadequacy. If you are enslaved to success, you will experience drivenness, fatigue, worry, fear, and so on. Anything you worship besides God promises much, but delivers worse than nothing. It is slavery, a constant treadmill of seeking to grasp, like golems grasping on that ring, or keep a hold of something which can never really deliver. The only benefit of idolatry is brokenness. It's brokenness. There's so many examples of, and most obviously are obviously carnal living and, and drugs, right? You think of, because that's an immediate effect. You know, people think, okay, if I just want to get away and have this drug-like experience, I'll be so happy. But we all know it ruins lives. It ruins relationships. It does the opposite. It promises joy and, and so much pleasure, but it ends up in just the worst grief ever. And so the person thinks they're doing drugs so they can have a great experience, and it ends up having the opposite effect. And no one is more miserable than a drug addict. No one's like, oh, those drug addicts are so happy. What a fulfilled life. No, no one thinks that way. No, and so it, it, sin has this de deceptive element. We're, you know, in terms of sin, we give into it. Many, as believers, we all struggle with sin. And so, you know, we shouldn't judge people like that because we give into it a much smaller scale with our own sin. Sin is like um, the story of the monkey claw. I remember seeing this when I was like, this is going to date me. Uh, does anybody remember? Uh, they they had this Nickelodeon show. Yeah, I watched Nickelodeon as a kid, and it was called "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Does anybody remember that here? I just I'm just curious. Oh my goodness! I'm surprised that there's three people that remember "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" My parents would let me stay up till 10:30. Watching it, it was like it was like I mean you know that was like you know for us it was a big deal and it was basically it's like kids like scary stuff and it means it's really dumbed down it's not that scary but it's scary for kids it was called Are You Afraid of the Dark and we would well, I think it was Wednesday or Saturdays it was up my parents would let us stay up till ten thirty to watch this uh, this Nickelodeon show and what I remember this is the story of the monkey claw and how it's so much like sin you think you're gonna like the monkey claw kind of presents itself like a genie in the bottle kind of situation where you get three wishes and you rub the you know, get the genie three wishes thing. But the monkey claw, you, you think you're going to get what you want, but it actually ends up being worse. And you, worse, you, never, you wish you never made the wish in the first place. So the person in the story, they, they wish for like a lot of money and their parents end up dying and they get the inheritance. 
So they wish they never even made the wish because it, it exacts a price that's greater than what you even wish for to wish to the point where you wish you never even made that wish at all. And then the, the last one to make it really scary because you got to make it, you know, scary, right? The last one they wish for is, you know, the parents are dead, so they wish their parents back from the dead and you get like, you know, it's a zombie, you know, so you're like, well, I don't want to make a wish for a zombie chasing after me. That's my parents. That was worse than anything. So that, that's how sin is, is that, is that, well, yeah, you don't turn into a zombie. <laughs> but, you know, that's how sin is, is it deceives us. Thinking we're going to get something great from something and we, we'd wish we'd never had sinned in the first place. It has that kind of just, just, just degrading effect on us. And the, the, there was actually a famous Irish poet by the name of Oscar Wilde, and he destroyed his entire life, very great poet, very great writer, because he, he served and his Lord was sensual lust. He, was, um, he would become physically intimate with as many people as he possibly could, and see, at the end of his life, he said he lived in ruin. I'm going to read you his words exactly here. The gods have given me almost everything, but I let myself be lured into long spells of senseless and sensual ease. Tired of being at the heights of deliberate, de deliberately went to the depths in search of a new sensation. What the paradox was to me is in the spirit of thought. Perversity became to me in the spirit of passion. I grew careless of the lives of others. I took pleasure where it pleased me and passed on. I forgot that every little action of a common day makes or unmakes a character and that therefore but one is done in secret chamber, one has, uh, has, uh, has some day to cry aloud from the housetop. I cease to be the Lord over myself. So it, he thought he was free, but he ceased being the captain of his own ship. I was no longer the captain of my soul, and I, and I did not know it. I allowed pleasure to dominate me, and I ended in horrible disgrace. That's what sin does. To a person's life and if you feel trapped and broken in sin and you're tired of serving sin and you just feel like many people feel like if they sin too much it's like oh there's no hope for me you know i you know i shouldn't darken the door of a church i'm i'm forever lost i'm forever gone there's nothing left for me because i've sinned too much i'm too far gone but the truth is is that there's as long as you are breathing and as long as you are alive there is always hope there is always grace for you that's the good news of the gospel the greatest solution in your pit of sin is Jesus Christ and him alone. So if you're trapped in a deep, just pit of sin and you feel like you can't get out, Jesus is there offering grace for you. And you don't have to earn anything. You, know, you worked hard to get into this pit. As Paul says here in Romans 6, 23, our last verse, for the wages of sin is death. You earn it by being giving into sin. It's, it takes work and effort to fall into sin over and over again. But you see, salvation's not that way. It says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you're in a pit and there's no way out, Jesus is a way out. You come to him broken in pieces and he will make you whole by faith in him. So it's, you're never too far gone. Jesus' grace is always there for you, always to get you out, like the thief in the cross in those very last moments of his life. He's always there to set you free. If you just place your faith in this morning, if you haven't already, place your faith in him, and he will transform your life. He will make you whole again. And you will not serve something that's less than the greatest. You will serve something with infinite purpose, infinite greatness, the God of the universe, knowing him, 
Knowing Jesus, the one true God, is eternal life, the greatest joy. I pray that if you haven't, that you would come to do that this morning by trusting Him. Let's pray.